we've handed a whole world of, of the abandonment of basic democracy, which is based on dissent, on challenging, on holding power to account, on revelation, on the embarrassment of power. And WikiLeaks provided that service, that public service of journalism. And it did it without fear or favour. What we're in the, the midst of at the moment is the world's great superpower struggling to maintain its dominance, its information dominance, its technological dominance, its cultural dominance. And WikiLeaks has presented an extraordinary hurdle to this. Julian Assange then has become enemy number one, but he should be, and I don't say this lightly, he should be hero number one. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is the FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a fortnightly podcast where we talk about the exciting ideas changing the world today and what might change the world tomorrow. We'll help you stay across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for the FOMO Show on your platform of choice. And everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to stuff we're talking about and timestamps to the relevant parts so you can always skip ahead or find it later. So this episode, we're going to be digging deep into the world of open source intelligence. Really exciting. Really, really exciting. We're going to talk a lot about what people can find out about you on the internet. And what kind of tools are out there that you can use to find out about yourself in the same ways so you can protect yourself. It's going to be very hard for us to do it justice in just one feature, but the goal will be to give you enough tools that you can get a little bit scared, um, but then also have some really practical ways to basically shore up your online presence, mm. which is mm-hmm. something that's really important for everyone. Some of those days. links that we're going to be sharing are so cool. Yeah. I mean... You look at it and you just think, wow, I'd love to be a private investigator just with the stuff at your disposal. Seriously, when you look at some of this stuff, you will you you will wonder whether you've made the wrong career choice. Oh, I want to be a spy, <laughs> man. Uh, we're also going to discuss a bunch of news, like usual. We've got all sorts of stuff ranging from uh, new cryptocurrency bills to... Uh, Banks expanding their networks using blockchain networks. And a little update from Craig Wright on this um, Bitcoin drama. So very <laughs> exciting. It's never a, never a dull moment in the, uh, the alternative Bitcoin world. So what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Um, mate, I haven't been up to too much else other than working. I'm actually trying to think of what else I've been doing that hasn't been work. Um, you mowed the lawn? I mowed half the lawn. <laughs> The other half is still waiting. It's been raining a lot, so oh. it's been been tough to mow the lawn. But um, yeah, I, I mowed the lawn with all my electric lawn mowing appliances. So nice. I'm, I'm trying to keep everything as electric as I possibly can and cool. move off petrol as much as I can. Oh. Um, yeah, because if if you can't afford a Tesla, you can at least afford a cordless leaf blower. You're living the dream. I know. You are the I future. Know. Everyone on the street looks over and envy. Oh. At, Look at how streamlined and smooth that yeah. looks. Yeah. Listen to the whisper as it 
Blows yeah. away leaves. I'm, I'm even, I've even ordered a Tesla uh, sticker. No. Nah. I'm going to chuck that on the leaf blower. Yes. And so then uh, when people, you know, walk past, I can like just show them my Tesla. Oh, like, just flash it. He's, yeah. yeah. He's my Tesla. Oh. Look at that. Living the dream, mate. Oh, mate. It's great. What have you been up to? Uh, I went for a massage today. That was really good. Oh, a remedial really? massage on my wow. upper back. Was that under your health insurance? Did no, you- no. It was actually a uh, Valentine's present, which I didn't use oh, until now. Um, yeah. One of those remedial ones where they just make you almost cry for three quarters of an hour, that but it was amazing. So good, man! Like, yeah. So I'm going back again next week just because. Want more? That sounds brilliant. Sitting I at need a desk. To do that. I'm well, literally standing, sitting, sitting here, like trying to massage myself. So. Oh, it's it's tough, and mm. no, you can't get the pressure in those places. But mm. yeah, because we sit down most of the day. I mean, yeah. you got a standing desk, but oh, it's just it all adds up. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's great. That really, yeah, I'm a little bit jealous. Oh. A little bit jealous of your remedial massage. Oh. But good. Good yeah, for you. Yeah, it's like your Tesla lawnmower, you. yeah. like Just to each their own. We can, uh, it's keeping up with the Joneses in this, yeah. in this place, isn't it? Yeah. Have, you, have we done anything else? Have, is there anything in our telegram that would give a hint as to if we've done, been doing anything else the last couple of weeks? That's just when. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. Like we've been FOMO show talking to each pianos. other about. <gasps> Have we? We haven't covered. It's it's in there. Oh, I just put yeah. the headline as this. Just as a bit of disclosure, this podcast is not investment or any other type of advice. We're not saying you should buy anything at all in this podcast, or do anything, or be anything. You can identify as whatever you want. That's that's the disclosure. There's no judgment zone here. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, do your own research if you want to. Well, we will judge you if you take our advice because you're not meant to take our advice. Yeah, if you take our advice, you are dumb because I take my advice and it's not worked out. (laughs) Go look at Joe's crypto tax return. (laughs) (laughs) Don't remind me. If you want to lose 50% on all of your investments, take our advice. It's a tax write off. But apart from that, yeah, both of us are invested in a bunch of stupid and brilliant things. Um, and if we talk about one of them, um, it means nothing. Don't buy it if we buy it or anything like that. So, so do your research. Never invest more than you can afford to lose. And avoid the fear of missing out. That was a terrible disclaimer. No, that was great. Huh? Oh, yeah, right, fair enough. <laughs> I, liked, I liked that, yes. <laughs> then to be yourself. I feel like this is going to be a... A little bit of a silly episode, which is okay. Very silly. Yeah. Let's keep it that way. We've had some really serious episodes up to this point. Yeah, we need to notch it back a bit up yeah. until that one article. We're going to notch yeah. it back. We're going to unwind. Just, you know, chill out wherever you are, unless you're uh, supposed to be doing something. And uh, Even unwind. if you're meant to be doing something. Even if you're meant your feet to be. Up. Just at least take your shoes off. You yeah. Know? Some people spend all day with their shoes on. If you're in the office, take your shoes off. Let yeah. everyone else smell your feet. Yeah. <laughs> Get them to take their shoes off as well. Then it'll yeah. just generally smell of feet instead oh. of just one person's feet. Also, if you're new around here and you're new to blockchain, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, any of that stuff, you can check out our Blockchain Basics series. Starts from episode two and it continues until episode eight. Um, and it gives you a bit of a grounding on what on earth we're talking about. So let's go on to the news. So first bit of news, US Congress has introduced two new cryptocurrency bills. They are aimed at addressing price manipulation um, as the first one and boosting the country's competitive edge in the industry in the other one. Yeah, so the first one is on handling price manipulation. So um, yeah, that that would means that the head of the 
Commodity Futures Trading Commission will be required to send a report which details the potential for virtual currency price manipulation, including methods, blah, 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 blah. Basically, the first one requires somebody to do their job and tell the government what the potential for virtual currency price manipulation is. Um, so, the, yeah, the really interesting thing about this is that they have defined virtual currency as a digital representation of value that does not have legal tender status and that functions as a medium of exchange, a unit of account, or a store of value. So they're essentially saying if it's not issued by the Reserve Bank of America or mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> if it's not condoned by the US government as a legal st- as a legal tender, then it would be virtual currency. That's really cool. Nice. Yeah. So, so they've, they're at least they've, they've gone that far at least now. And that's further than we've done here in Australia yeah. because, wow. I mean, at the moment, virtual currency – in Australia, is treated treated as a capital asset. Ah. It's more like a, like a commodity, I guess, rather than mm. a than a virtual currency. Wow! Yeah. Now, the other bills on increasing competitiveness. So, uh, it requires another report from the chairman of the CFTC again, um, in consultation with the SEC heads, um, basically talking about the ways that they can promote America's competitiveness in the cryptocurrency and virtual you know, digital currency sphere. Um, which is pretty interesting. So it all involves some comparative studies on US and international legislation, looking at the benefits um, of virtual currencies and blockchain tech to the commodities markets, legislative proposals, and so forth. Yes, yeah, so they're, they're proposing to have a new regulatory structure for cryptocurrency exchanges, which would include consumer protections, federal licensure, and market supervision. So essentially saying that if you're running out of America – uh, and you're running a virtual currency exchange, you need to play by all the same rules that other exchanges are playing by. Um, and they're even asking people to propose maybe some new rules or some different mm, rules for that mm, too mm. so that the US can stay competitive in the virtual currency market. Yeah. And yeah, interestingly, their definition is is quite important here because that might be an attempt by Congress to determine a definition for future regulations, which is kind of good. But also the whole... Price manipulation stuff. That's really interesting because that was apparently used as you know as a risk in the reasons for the Bitcoin ETFs not being approved. Mm. So that aim might actually be to try and tackle those issues and therefore maybe facilitate some kind of a Bitcoin ETF. Yeah, because I guess if they're going to be exchange traded fund and they're going to be regulated and you're going to have major funds investing in these products. Um, you want to be pretty sure that you're not going to be subject to someone with, you know, ten percent of the total Bitcoin supply, inflating the market, shooting mm-hmm. it up, and then dumping mm-hmm. everything to to drive the price back down. You know, you 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 want to at least not on any registered exchanges that are registered in the US. And I'm sure there was something the other week that came up about how exchanges are actually manipulating the volume, the mm-hmm. daily volume in trading, mm-hmm. which could it be a some kind of a trading indicator, which is yeah, that was amazing. Actually, the um, the, I think they they looked at like the fake versus real volume on a lot of exchanges. Oh uh, yeah, and the 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 volume that gets reported by like Coin Market Cap and sites like that is way more than the actual volume because so many of these exchanges are faking their volume to uh, manipulate price and also attract users and kind of show themselves as more legitimate right. than they actually yeah, are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you, you saw it with so the Bitcoin price hike we had 
was it about two? It would have been about two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, it it was unreal to watch because it was just there wasn't much going on, much going on, and then all of a sudden, in the space of thirty minutes, the price jumped by like five hundred dollars mm. or something crazy, and there was no real explanation for it. It just hit. You know, it was obviously quite a coordinated buy by s- certain individuals. Um, so from the SEC's perspective, I guess they just want to know that they can control those kinds of things as much as they can. Mm, mm. Yeah. It's still such a small asset class, isn't it? Like mm. if you look at the size of crypto as a whole and it's only, what, like three, $400 billion in total, mm, mm. which isn't that much in the grand scheme of things. It's like if you had a cutlery drawer, it's like those little tiny forks that you use for olives. Yeah. You know those little two pronged ones. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You use it, yeah, but like it's a real small part of that cutlery drawer, and you yeah. only use it in very special occasions. Yeah. You just hold it in the drawer, really. Yeah, a hollow fork. Yeah. Mm. One day maybe it'll be a big fork, and then everyone will use it. And then one day someone comes along and says, "That fork is the wrong fork. I yeah. I wrote the blueprint for the fork. It's actually 10 a years knife. Ago. Yeah, it's actually <laughs> a knife. It's not meant for olives at all. There is no spoon." Well, there isn't. Well, someone else comes along and says there is a spoon. Oh, yeah. Mm. Upsets in the cutlery drawer. Yeah, on the Fermo show. <laughs> <laughs> We're going full circle. Yeah. Salt and pepper crypto. Oh yes. All what episode around. number is this? Forty-two. Forty- what does that mean? This is episode forty-two. What does that mean? The ultimate answer to the question. The question. The answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. And you're currently hearing it on the Fermo show. That's right. It's all about. Spoons, forks, knives, and salt and pepper. Yep. Mm. Mm. Interesting piece. Austria's largest energy provider is developing a blockchain fridge with Bosch, the German efficiency giant known for being Bosch and making drill bits and other things. Mm. So Austria's largest energy provider. Sorry. Yeah, and dishwashers. We've got. I think we've got a Bosch. Put cutler in there. Mm. If we put those little forks in there. No. But if they're silver forks, you generally can't put them don't, in. Don't put your silverware in the, no. in the dishwasher. Do not want to put that in the dishwasher. No. Or wood. No. 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 It's like not wanting to put your money into Ripple. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't do it. <laughs> Why are you doing it? Yeah. <laughs> when Moon. <laughs> But serious. <laughs> when? <laughs> a settlement layer for banks doesn't need a cryptocurrency. Anyway, Austria's largest energy provider, Vine Energy. Good name. Has developed a blockchain-driven fridge. I'm oh, sorry. I can't not laugh when I read that. <laughs> <laughs> the fridge is like The fridge is literally bitcoins. driven by the blockchain. Like, wow. it rocks up in a Volkswagen, like, and, the, and the blockchain is like... I'm from Vine Energy. <laughs> I have driven your fridge here. Would you like strudel? Very cold. <laughs> oh, okay. But yeah, the main goal behind the project is to increase consumer interest in the sustainable consumption of energy. So, yeah, this basically allows you to choose the um, source of energy using some kind of blockchain solution. Whether that's a solar panel or wind power plant, each kilowatt used by the fridge can be traced to its origin. Right, so the blockchain fridge can be fully operated via a smartphone, apparently. Mm-hmm. A user is able to control the temperature of the fridge and freezer. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Check whether the door is properly closed. <laughs> go on. 
and and trace the energy consumption and CO2 emissions. According to the official statement, the model is not yet on sale. I don't know why. (laughs) Vine Energy and Bosch will test the blockchain fridge with three pilot customers in the coming months. As stupid as it sounds, it's kind of cool. Like, I love what they're trying to do. You know, you say, oh, I want this to be powered by filthy coal plants. Yeah. And you can track on your smartphone or wherever it is. Yeah. Maybe you could switch from coal coal power plants to, like, burning wood. Um, Yeah. And you could actually set that and actually measure it. It's really kind of yeah. interesting. It's like IoT, yeah. blockchain, and uh, you've got proof of coldness. Yeah. But it wouldn't It wouldn't actually be like the electron coming from the station. Because like, everything no. goes onto the no. same grid. Yeah. So it, there'd have to be some kind of just a proof. attribution yeah. going on behind the scenes. It's probably, probably even carbon credits or something like that. Yeah. You know, we've bought you know, certain number of units off some wind farm in you know, Armenia and I don't know if there's yeah. wind in Armenia, but yeah. Press release is just the funniest thing with this. <laughs> it just it just reads like <laughs> one of those blockchain everything yeah. press releases, yeah. you know. It's it's But it's great. It's great it's to see like, people have making- I mean at the end of the day, blockchain is a distributed ledger that yeah. does things a certain way. Mm-hmm. And the reality is most of the implementations of the technology itself where it doesn't touch crypto, are going to be these quite boring database stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's just going to be the database that fits the best. You would hope. We need to make a little adverts on this show. It's like... Are you tired of using energy and you not know where it comes from? Have you ever asked... Is my fridge door open? Well, you need the blockchain fridge. Solving your problems since 2019. Danke, Energy. Do you need Do you need fridge? Yeah. <laughs> do you need blockchain? Yeah. Well, have we got a deal for you? Oh, what is it? What is it? The blockchain fridge from Vine Energy. <laughs> oh my. Uh. <laughs> Next up, Western Union um, have integrated with a crypto wallet to expand their Philippines remittances. Now, you're a lawyer. What's a remittance? Basically, where you send money to someone else. Cool. So, in a nutshell, yeah, Western Union they teamed up with Coins.ph, which is a pretty well heard of um, Philippine-based um, blockchain startup. Is it Coins.ph or is it Coins? I think it's Coins. Um, coins. Coins. So, yeah, they've teamed up with Coins to enable residents of the Philippines to more easily receive cash remittances. It will see both international and domestic payments made via Western Union's network arrive directly into digital wallets held by their over 5 million quote-unquote users, um, they announced last week. So, service aims to offer quick and convenient access to remittances in urban and remote underserved areas, uh, Coins said. Uh, And they said that Western Union's digital and retail networks – Enable customers to receive payments from virtually all nations and territories worldwide, which is really very true. You see Western Union pop up there are a lot of a lot of places in Africa. Mm-hmm. That's nearly the only way to send money mm-hmm. from one place to another. So they do have the market quite cornered. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's possibly 10 million Filipinos working and living outside their home nation. So that's a big, you know, and potentially growing business because yeah this this is actually quite a coup like i think this is actually really cool because it looks like coins has 
identified that they need to plug in with an existing network. And there really isn't any greater existing network where people go to and rely on for sending money internationally Mm -hmm. than Western Union. So they've kind of said instead of throwing out a white paper, doing our own ICO, trying to do all all on ourselves, let's go partner with the biggest one in the world and let's – Let's try and get them on board with cryptocurrency. And Western Union, I'm sure, has probably been looking at this whole crypto thing and thought, well, if this takes off, this is a huge threat to what we do because we like we charge ridiculous fees for sending money. Yeah, and yeah. and re- Because you've got to think about what they've got to do. I mean, they've got to liaise with nearly every bank in the world and try and reconcile payments from one jurisdiction to another and make sure that all is all reflected in their banking ledgers. And it'd be an absolute nightmare. So I can see why they charge a lot of money. Yeah, I think it's it, it makes sense from both sides to look mm. at something like this. And yeah, coins.ph or coins, uh, yeah, they have, they offer yeah financial services to Philippines residents, so, you know, including, sorry, those who don't have bank accounts. So they've got a mobile wallet, which enables, yeah, remittances, bill payments, cryptocurrency purchases. Pretty cool. Mm. So yeah, there's a... Um, there's users of that service would need to complete know your customer KYC verification stuff. And um, yeah, then after that, you can receive Western Union transfers into your wallet. So there's a monthly maximum of about 2000 US dollars worth. But um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Watch that space. That's, um, that's something that's really interesting. Next piece of news. This is great for our UK listeners. Coinbase have partnered with Visa in what Mickey.com.au are calling a crypto adoption breakthrough. So Coinbase is probably the largest cryptocurrency quote unquote exchange in the world at the moment. So you can just pay with your bank account or credit card or whatever and buy cryptocurrency. Yeah. I mean, they whack a, I think it's a, what, a 3% fee on top. And then they also stinging on the way back out as well when you're transferring out. But it's, it's probably it's, the easiest. It's really easy. Yeah. It's really, really easy. Uh, they've got a lot of market clout. And this is just another bit of evidence that they do have a lot of market clout because they've they've partnered with Visa here. So this card is going to allow users of Coinbase to transact with holdings of Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash uh, that's held in the Coinbase mm-hmm. custodial wallet. So they'll be able to use this card um, to buy goods anywhere in the world. Which is really cool. Um, so yeah, it can be made through contactless payments as well as with chip and pin method. Um, you can also withdraw cash from ATMs directly from your cryptocurrency holdings. So yeah, they've released the Coinbase card application as well, which allows you to keep track of what wallets they're using with the card. Um, so it will offer you a summary of transactions made, um, the types of purchases which have been made, and instant receipts upon payment. They've also said they've got a multitude of features to prevent unauthorized parties from gaining access to the card. And they've also got a two-step verification process. So you can freeze the card instantly if you detect any suspicious transactions. And I assume there's going to be notifications going along with that as well. Mm. And there's some similar sort of ideas out there at the moment. Apparently in the US, there's one called Wirex. Um, But yeah, it's a card similar to Coinbase, but a Coinbase account isn't required to use it for Wirex, but um, yeah, really, really interesting idea. The thing to say is, it's probably you're probably not. It's not really fair to say that you're using your actual Bitcoin, or using your actual Bitcoin Cash, or anything else, because at the end of the day, it's held in a custodial wallet. Mm-hmm. It's really just it, it would just be pay Coinbase remitting a certain percentage of money through the Visa network to the merchant, and then just liquidating your holdings. Then just liquidating your holdings wallet. from your account. Yeah, yeah. so it's it's. Like if you're holding your Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash 
or anything else in Coinbase. Like we always say, you don't really ha- you don't have the keys. You don't really own that. It's more just something that's attributable to you. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, Coinbase is big. They're very well insured. It's very unlikely that they're go- you're going to lose your Bitcoin mm-hmm. when you're holding mm-hmm. it in Coinbase. But it's just look, it, it's it, if you've got Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash or whatever sitting in in your Coinbase, you use it a lot. You're purchasing Bitcoin all the time. You're leaving some in there. I guess you could get yourself a card and 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 pay with it. Yeah, you know it's. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It is cool. cool. It's crypto good. card. Yeah. I mean you're spending cash, but I mean it means it works everywhere. I do I do worry though, like with something like that. Fees. Well, fees is one thing, but also then like are you ever going to ask that merchant again if they take Bitcoin? Because generally like when I go somewhere now, yeah. like if there's someone who I who I think may be interested in it, I I'll generally know they don't take it, but I'll ask them Oh, do you take Bitcoin? And they'll say, oh, no, we don't. But and then some of them will ask, what's Bitcoin? Why should I take it? And you can kind of do a quick spiel. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if you were to get one of these Coinbase cards, the mm. compulsion to do that would probably lessen because you'd be like, well, I'm paying. I'm In your head, you'd be like, I'm paying yeah, for my crypto. Yeah, yeah. But you're really not. Like you're still paying through mm-hmm. Visa. Yeah. You're still using the legacy banking system. Mm-hmm. You're still getting whacked with fees mm-hmm. either side. Um and you don't control your wallet. So, yeah, I don't know. That's some serious Jehovah's Witness you just come <laughs> up with. You're like, firstly, you go up to, you go into a store and you say, have you accepted Bitcoin into your heart? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know Satoshi? <laughs> Do you know our Lord and Savior Craig Wright? <laughs> the lightning torch has reached its final destination. So the Lightning Torch, this is actually really cool. The Lightning Torch is a Lightning Network payment that's been forwarded to Bitcoiners around the world via Twitter. And it's finally run its course and reached its end in a ch- in the charitable hands of Bitcoin Venezuela. So just as a quick background, if you don't know what Lightning is, um, so you've got Bitcoin and then because Bitcoin didn't speed up quick enough, um, they've created a an acceleration mechanism. Well, it's like a side It's like for micro payments. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so they're like kind a, of tethering into the the Bitcoin network. Yeah. And making it so that you can do micro payments. Yeah. It's yeah. like a duct tape micro payments <laughs> thing onto Bitcoin. Um but yeah it means really fast transactions. Yeah. Um means some other really cool things to it as well. Yeah. But yeah, there was this lightning torch um which was to show off this lightning network and how quick it was, they I think it was some dude called what was it, Hoddlenaut or Yeah, Hoddlenaut. Yeah, Hoddlenaut yeah. for a bit of fun wanted to spread excitement for this lightning network. So he decided to send a hundred thousand Satoshis to the first person in his tweet thread that he trusted. And it came with a catch, or at least an expectation. The recipient would have to add ten thousand Satoshis. So a thousand Satoshis is what? Point zero 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 one Bitcoin. I think tiny, it's, it's tiny. It's a tiny yeah. amount. So you, the recipient would have to add a very small amount onto it and then pass it on to someone else and then on and on and on. So, um, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Mm. Went on a round-the-world journey. Someone seized it on the way and yeah. decided they wouldn't send it on. And then but, I think um, someone started it again or yeah. there was there was yeah, pressure. Yeah, they were pressured yeah. to, uh, <laughs> to buckle. And, uh, yep, yeah, so they sent it back. Yeah. And then um, – but yeah, it started as a fun experiment, but we've seen some interesting things happen there. It went via uh, 
It went somewhere via Iran, apparently. Yep. So circumventing the sanctions on there. Yep. It went to um, Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter. Yeah, and some Finnish model as well, I wow. think. Wow. It, it went via. And so it essentially just got passed around, kind of like the Olympic torch, yeah. you know, like it went to all these different people from all these different nationalities. Um, and, yeah, it's it's it kind of grew into like a cultural movement and a way to show off what the network was becoming capable of. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it's ended up in Bitcoin Venezuela. So they've essentially said we get, we need to give all this all these satoshis to someone to use for whatever they're doing. And we all know Venezuela is struggling financially. Uh, it's very poor at the moment. A lot of people have mm-hmm. had some pretty tough economic times. So there's a number of crypto foundations in Venezuela trying to increase adoption for crypto mm-hmm. and get crypto into people's hands because. Mm-hmm. It's deflationary as opposed to incredibly inflationary like the Venezuelan currency currently. Um, so, yeah, it's reached there. So, really cool little experiment. And uh, it was all started by Hodlnaut, which is interesting and kind of segues into our next bit of news. So, Hodlnaut, who runs a Twitter account, who's been saying for quite a while that, um, if in, sure, in case you're not aware, um, Craig Wright, uh, he um, is the, one of the founders of Bitcoin SV, which is Satoshi's vision, and he also claims to be the, um, the person behind the pseudonym of Satoshi Nakamoto or Satoshi mm. or something like that. Um, and yeah, now he is suing people or sending people uh, libel suits yeah. um, via letters. And Hodlnaut, who started this lightning torch, is one of the recipients. Yeah, so Hodlnaut, um, you know, made some comments that – and and – I think it's it's a it's a not uncommonly held sentiment within the crypto community that <clears throat> Craig might Craig Wright may not be as accurate as he thinks he's in, he is in some of his assertions. Um, but Holdenot kind of became the lightning rod uh-huh, um, for <laughs> Craig Wright's attention for, for for this whole issue, and so he sent him a, a letter essentially saying, "You've defamed me. You need to apologise. And if you don't, I'm going to <clears throat> come after you." Because Hodlnaut called him a fraud. Yeah, mm. yeah. So there's been a big swell of support around Hodlnaut. There's hashtags, um, we are Hodlnaut or I am, or we are all Hodlnaut or something <laughs> uh, going out on Twitter. There's all sorts of hilarious memes out there. Um, right. Just look up the hashtag. Go to Peter McCormick's Twitter. I think he's kind of collating a bunch of them. Um, but, yeah, very, very funny stuff out there surrounding this. But um, Peter McCormick who hosts the What Bitcoin Did podcast. And if you've never listened to it before, I really recommend going and having a listen because he does a lot of research and he finds some really, really interesting guests. He'll generally fly to people just to interview them. And he's generally puts out, I think he has a three-monthly financial statement he puts out to let people know where all the money's going and Hmm. all this stuff, does it really well. But he jumped in on this this whole holding lot thing and essentially said to Craig Wright, well, if you're sending them to other people, can you send me one too? You know, why, mm-hmm. why, why, um, why aren't you sending one to me? And uh, he received a letter in the post from a, a UK-based law firm called SCA Ontier, um, and they said, "Dear sirs, oh, interesting. Um, we act for Dr. Craig Wright, the computer scientist and businessman." Uh, Dr. Wright was part of the team that created Bitcoin. He is the person behind the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto. We strongly suggest you take legal advice upon the contents of this letter and then blah, 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 something to do with libel, blah, 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 blah. We assume your name is this, blah, blah, blah. The law says that you can't do this. 
Um, here are some things that you've said, such as, uh, I would like to formally state that Dr. Craig Wright is not Satoshi, blah, 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 blah. He's a fraud, all this stuff. And um, they requested a number of things. They said that he was being defamatory. Um, it caused serious harm and it was false in its nature. So he then required uh, a number of things. So number one was your assurance that you preserve all documents relating to everything he said, uh, an undertaking to delete all the tweets or any other publications in uh, which <laughs> Peter McCormick alleged that their client claimed to be falsely to be Satoshi Nakamoto not repeating any of those allegations, tweeting an apology out to all the followers and an agreement to join in a statement in open court in which you apologize to the client and acknowledge the falsity of the allegations, which is essentially acknowledging that Dr. Craig Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto. I just wondered, the first point says you should uh, preserve all documents, including electronic messages related to the matter. Yep. The second one says delete everything related to the matter <laughs> that you've done. I do this for a living. Uh, like I, I, I've sent out some letters in relation to defamation before. Mm -hmm. I've acted for clients where they have been defamed or they think they've been defamed and you generally send out a letter and it's called a takedown notice and there's all these requirements. But I've got to say, this is one of the um, less well-written legal letters I've I've seen. Uh, and I was quite surprised to actually see this was written by a real legal firm because there's some very basic mistakes that have been made within the letter, uh, foremost of which was actually asserting that Dr. Craig Wright is Satoshi Nakamoto. Generally, you... Uh, you would say we are instructed by our client that he is Satoshi Nakamoto. You know, it's, it's right. you never generally adopt a position of your client. You just, uh, wow. you just relate to the other side what your client is saying. Wow, say, this is what I'm instructed because the moment you adopt that position, it then becomes the position of your firm, mm -hmm. and you get tied up in that position as well. Essentially. So if it's ever proved, wow, so uh, it's a technicality. I don't mm -hmm. know if it will ever. Mm. make it to anything but it's just it's just one of those things like I, I suspect there may have been a fair bit of firm hunting before a firm was located which would print the letter in the form which it is in currently hmm. um anyway so that that went out and we all got to have a good look and peter mccormick shared it with his followers immediately um i think next i think it was cz who's the guy who runs um binance he said look any more of this and we delist mm. Bitcoin SV, I believe. Yeah. So Binance is the largest exchange in the world. Wow, and this is right. the CEO of the largest exchange in the world, essentially saying, Craig Wright, get back in your box. If you carry on anymore, we're going to delist your coin. Wow. And um, yeah, interestingly, Peter McCormack um, sort of wrote a response to this legal letter he'd received. I confirm receipt of your letter regarding Dr. Craig Wright, or Craig Wright, who, in my opinion, is definitely not the person that I love. I also identify as the King of Bradford. He added a few more statements relating to Craig Wright being a fraud. Um, he then responded to those five requests, saying, number one, uh, in response to request number one, ha, ha, ha. In response to request number two, no. Three, no. Four, jog on. Five, rufflecopter. So, yes. And he also noted, um, and I think that he definitely had some help from lawyers in drafting this. Mm -hmm. And while it's not signed by a legal uh, legal firm, it's it's on his own, it's under his own signature, there's references to cases and mm -hmm. there's a few other areas. And he actually says he's got lawyers who are willing to help him pro bono, which I don't doubt uh, considering what's going on. The, the, thing he, the thing he said above all, which was, which was great, 
was, and I'll read it verbatim, as I'm sure you've advised your client in any claim for libel, the statement must be made as a false statement of fact. Consequently, it would be argued that for my statement to be false, the onus would be on your client to prove that he is in fact Satoshi. As you're aware, the burden of proof is on your client to prove that he has suffered serious harm as a consequence of the alleged defamation. Serious harm can include serious financial loss. Please, can you set out in detail with evidence what serious harm, if any, has been suffered? He also went on further down below to say he has his own requirements. And he said, um, what he wants Dr. Wright to do is provides evidence which he is Satoshi, not the same nonsense that he's published time and time again. If not, then C points two to six. He's undertaking to delete all online publications where he fraudulently claims he's Satoshi Nakamoto. He's undertaking not to repeat those claims. His agreement to write a written apology to everyone in Bitcoin. His agreement to join in a statement in the open court in which he apologizes for and acknowledges the falsity of his claims. And his agreement to stop issuing bullying letters to people and end this pursuit of Holnaut, who is a legend. <laughs> and then he goes off. To, so the original letter from uh, SCA Ontier LLP that the signature looked like it was written by a six-year-old. Mm. So Peter McCormack um, decided to sign the letter in Microsoft Paint handwritten. <laughs> it says, by yours sincerely, Peter McCormack, brackets, age 40. Mm. So it's all very entertaining. And look, we'll, we'll put the link to the Twitter thread uh, in the show notes. Go have a look yourself. There is a bunch of hilarious memes around this. But um, look, we, as much as I love receiving legal letters. I, I don't think we'll um we'll go too much into depth about our personal opinions of Dr. Wright, um, who actually is an Australian too. So uh, depending on your opinion, he may be a great credit to the country or he might not be. Um, but yeah, look, it's 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 just a bit of fun. I mean, sometimes you can look at these things and say, oh, well, we're kind of shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit as the crypto community. We should be focusing on better things. Mm-hmm. But this is almost that ridiculous that you've just got to look at it for what it is, which is just something that's very funny. So in other news, an Australian publisher has been arrested and removed from the Ecuadorian embassy in London by British police um, in exchange for 30 pieces of silver, which were paid to Ecuador, or it was actually a $4 billion IMF loan. Mm. Um, and the publisher was Julian Assange, who runs uh, WikiLeaks, which is uh, an organisation that leaks information from whether it's been hacked or whistleblowers or whatever, usually exposing power and corruption, greed mm. and war crimes. So they're actually known for publishing leaks of the greatest war crimes of the 21st century. And um, funnily enough, he's an enemy of um, the Western powers, I guess you'd call it. or The people that run the Western powers anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's probably yeah. the best way to say it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, WikiLeaks has had a history of publishing all sorts of documents from, from all sorts of governments, and they believe that we as the public have a right to know what's going on, uh, whether our governments want us to know what's going on or not. And uh, so Assange, that's what he started. And he's been, uh, and he really rose to prominence with a video called Collateral Murder. Which was some footage taken in Iraq in 2007 um, from a US uh, Apache helicopter where it had the audio from the helicopter and the video showing um, it was actually the, um, it was the, the murder of, I think it was a Reuters photojournalist. Two Reuters. Two Reuters photojournalists. Yeah. Um, the people around them, the people who came to rescue them after they got shot. Yeah. Um, and I believe they injured some children that were nearby. Um, yeah. And this was only, this is only footage that we 
have and that the public have access to. Yeah, well, the, the whole story behind it was that the US government had said that the death of these journalists was response. The people responsible for this death were the were terrorists. Mm-hmm. Um, they engaged US fighters, and US fighters had returned fire, and these guys had been caught somewhere within oh, that. Didn't know. Um, yeah, so they essentially, and that that was the line that they said. And WikiLeaks asked them to release the information under the Freedom of Information Act in the States. They wouldn't, and so someone leaked the footage to WikiLeaks, and then. WikiLeaks put it out and showed that the US government had been completely untruthful um, mm. and, in fact, it had been a drone attack and they had seen the two journalist cameras strapped over their backs mm-hmm. and the helicopter operator had said that they were weapons and actually saw one of, the, one of them had a big uh, telescopic lens and he'd said, oh, he's got an RPG, you know. <laughs> it was just the, the cameraman sitting down and taking a photo. And WikiLeaks have also been known for this, the leaks from the CIA, the Vault 7 leaks, which mm. is the largest leak in CIA history of all mm. their hacking tools and information and stuff like that. Um, various other areas of corruption in politics, um, whether it's uh, American or Russian, um, or, you know, some even some other countries there. But, um, yeah, Julian Assange has had a bit of a tough time because – he has made an enemy like yep. by by virtue of just doing what he does now there is a side of people who say look he's leaking what what is actually um that is classified information and classified mm. information is classified for national security mm. now most often politicians decide to classify things the only problem is they're not classifying things for national security. It's usually out of embarrassment. That's what you can mm. find because you can actually see all the declassified documents as they come out. Well, most documents that are declassified, there's what, 30, 40, 60 years, however many years. And when you actually just check in and see actually what is getting declassified most days, most of the things that are being declassified are really mundane, just a bit embarrassing at the time. But what WikiLeaks has taught us is that the vast majority – of these documents are not classified for national security reasons. Like you say, they're classified to keep someone out of embarrassment or to uh, cover up corruption or to stop people knowing that some um, some rich corporate investor has paid government politicians a bunch of money to push something through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's for the people that are actually willing to go read this stuff, it's shown just how distrustful. And um, you know, and untruthful, a lot of our elected politicians are, and bureaucrats, yeah, unelected bureaucrats too. So all that to say, uh, Assange. Some people see him as a hero. Uh, some other people see him as a criminal. Yeah. Um, regardless of what you think, it is undeniable that he has annoyed some very, very, very powerful people, and. Um, it is undeniable also that Ecuador has received a very, very large sum of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and they, because he's been holed up in that embassy for seven years and spied on. And, um, yep. So he had meetings with his lawyers and the, he was spied on there. Yep. He had a little pet cat in the embassy, the embassy cat, which had its own Twitter account. And they ended up taking that off him. That took his internet off him as well. Yep. Uh, yeah. Blocked all signals. Um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty scary stuff. But, yep. um, there are a number of charges against him for various things. Um, mm. Interesting to see. This is exactly what will happen if you will stand up to power. Mm. And, um, yeah, I mean, the good news is it's now front page news. Yeah. And yeah, I'm really interested to see where he gets extradited to. I think mm. that's going to say a lot about who's really, I guess, 
got more power in this situation because there are some allegations in Sweden, I think, oh, those- which have been, I think, that the, 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 the alleged victims of themselves debunked. Yeah, there are some. Char- there, there were some charges against him for some pretty nasty sounding things. Mm. Um, he was almost going to be extradited to Sweden, but he rejected that because he was not guaranteed that he wouldn't be sent to America. Yeah. So he said, "Come and see me in the embassy instead." Yeah. Um, but Sweden refused. Yeah. So yeah, eventually the charges were uh, dropped. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it's 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 going to be very interesting to see if he is extradited to the US. I mean. They landed a rendition plane a few weeks back. Yeah. Um, that's that's when this all sort of kicked off. And, um, yeah, the chances are if he does go to the US, he probably won't receive a fair trial. And there's a lot of journalists, like Glenn Greenwald has written a bit on this stuff. But essentially they've the, the US, their charges against him, which they've now unsealed, are basically helping um, Chelsea Manning, who was Bradley Manning at the time who leaked a lot of this stuff, mm helping Bradley Manning and conspiring with him to leak these documents, which yeah. is what publishers and journalists do. Yeah. So I would not expect to see any kind of a fair trial because justice is used as a weapon. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Look, I mean, from my perspective, I think it's, it is, it's, quite, it's been quite sad for me anyway to watch some elements of the media and some people celebrate this. Um, you know, they say, oh, we finally got him out of there. He's finally going to be charged for you know, for, for get what he deserves, essentially. Um, this guy has, in my view, um, is one of the bravest people out there. He, he decided that he valued freedom of speech, freedom of information, um, and his principles more than staying safe, more than living a comfortable life and, uh, and just, you know, shaking our heads and moving on with things as most of us do. Uh, instead, he said, no, I'm going to do what I think is right. I'm going to release some of this material and I'm going to let people know what's going on. And uh, he's been had a lot of integrity with the way that he went about it when he was at the helm. So, yeah, I, you know, I got to, I, I, I admire the man, to be honest. Cut that as you will. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that should be included, but. Oh, it's so tough to talk about it, man, because like you, you can't, we can't really say what we actually think. If you want to hear what we think, get in touch with us privately. <laughs> <laughs> Little bit of machine learning news. Machine learning is making pesto even more delicious. So yeah, researchers at MIT used artificial intelligence to improve the flavor of basil. Um, they used yeah um, machine learning and by uh, to determine the growing conditions that would maximize the concentration of the the compounds responsible for the flavor. So they grew this basil in hydroponic units with mo- within modified shipping containers. Temperature, light, humidity and other factors were controlled automatically. So they basically tested the taste of the plants by looking for certain compounds um, using all this stuff, fed the data into machine learning algorithms, and they found some interesting research that exposing plants to light 24 hours a day generated the best taste. Yeah, so the the idea of using machine learning to optimise plant yield is really taking off in agriculture. Last year in Netherlands, they organised an autonomous greenhouse contest in which different teams competed to develop algorithms that increased the yield of cucumber plants while minimising the resources required. And uh, similar competitions and, and innovations and companies working with this stuff are popping up all around the world. Mm. It seems like we're really seeing like a confluence of 
data, machine learning, programming, all that kind of stuff, and agriculture, which is amazing. Like for me, <laughs> growing up on a farm, you know, like it, to think that one day we may be running a lot of our farming simply through data and algorithms and that kind of stuff is wild. And speaking of which, there's a really cool video that you found on Reddit, which was of weed killing robots. They used 20 times or 95% less herbicide. It's basically this crazy looking, um, who's that artist? Is it Dali who made the elephants with the really long spindly legs? The abstract guy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah these little, uh, it's basically a like a big pram for babies. But instead of having a thing that you put a baby in, it's just got some random little spindly arms that come off it and inject basically herbicide directly onto the plants. Yeah, it's amazing because uh, generally when you're spraying plants, you actually have these massive boom arms and the boom arms have big sprays on them and they just shoot all the spray down and you may only get, you know, you may put 100 litres on and only you may only really get 5 litres on the actual or 10 litres on the actual the weeds or the plants or on the bugs that you're trying to kill. Um, so there's a huge amount of wastage and it's a lot of trouble. This is amazing. You really need to watch the video because it will. it's just finding the weeds and then it's going through autonomously as well. So you don't actually even need to pilot it. It's just doing it. So, I, I, you know, look, give it another five, ten years and you're probably going to look out over a lot of farming fields and you will just see these different contraptions going through and doing different things because the exact same thing that's being done here could be done for planting plants as well. Similar sort of arms. You know, you just load up. They could just return, get some more plants, come back, keep planting. I said it looks like a pram. It looks nothing like that. It looks like it's like a big flat solar panel on the roof. Just with some arms. Just like with some spindly arms, arms coming underneath yeah, it. Some just, wheels. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Ah, oh, it's unreal. How cool is technology? Yeah. Oh, man. Next bit of news, the Hayabusa 2 probe has successfully bombed an asteroid called Ryugu. So, according to the Extreme Tech article, they said, we have bombed an asteroid, finally exacting revenge for what the asteroids did to dinosaurs. take that. Yeah. Take that, asteroids. And there's a valid scientific reason too, apparently. So, yeah, this spacecraft is collecting material from the asteroid Ryugu, and blasting it with a massive kinetic projectile is a good way to expose material from deep below the surface. So, the Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency, or JAXA, has launched a spacecraft in 2014 and it took more than two years for it to reach Ryugu, more than 186 million miles or 300 kilometres from Earth. After meeting up in deep space, Hayabusa 2 began mapping the surface of Ryugu to develop a plan of attack. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it has a sampling arm designed to gently touch the surface and, yeah, to get material into that sampling arm, the probe carries a few five-gram tantalum slugs, which it can fire at high speed. Earlier this year, it fired one of its two bullets to help it scoop up a few fragments. And yeah, so they've now dropped the bomb on Ryugu. Uh, the bomb is a 5.5-pound uh, small carry-on impactor, which is a some kind of a bomb, really. Really small bomb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, two kilometres a second. It propels the impactor at two kilometres a second. Wow. So, yeah, it's a very small bomb with um, basically it's going to wait for a bit, then it's going to probably land or something, and then... Um, yeah, they're hoping they'll find a crater several metres across. Yeah, it has a sample return container, which they plan to launch back to Earth in the coming months. So, yeah, it might have as much as 100 milligrams of asteroid material when it gets here in late 2020. Wow. So, worth it. 
Jeez. I wonder how many billions of dollars they spent doing that. <laughs> Wouldn't it be bad if it had some kind of deep space virus and it yeah, just Yeah, like, this was what wiped humanity out. That would be a great movie. Imagine if this is what made um, X-Men though. Sweet. It's just as good Why a chance of that. Japan are always the first. Yeah. Thing. Classic. Now what'll happen is they'll bring it back and then they'll they'll like fuel all their Gundams with this. <laughs> they'll build a whole bunch of big, big mechs. If you've been considering for a while of making the switch to Linux and just, you know, if you're bored of Windows and you want to try something a little bit faster, a little bit more superior, why not give Linux a try? And if you're just like, what is all this stuff? How do I play games on Linux? How do I do all these cool things? There's a really good video that you found on YouTube. Yeah, so Linux Tech Tips, which is probably the biggest tech gaming YouTube channel out there, Mm -hmm. They've recently been doing some videos on Linux and they did one recently on Linux and it it was on Ubuntu, which is like the main Linux distribution and mm-hmm. they had to jump through a bunch of hoops to get things working and it just wasn't that great. And a number of people watched it and were like, well, you guys picked the wrong thing. You know, there's all these other distributions, we call them out there, that make things a lot easier. So, so different flavors. Like different flavors, yeah. yeah. Ubuntu, I mean, Linux is amazing because there's a number of different So with Windows, versions. you just get Windows, but yeah. Linux, there's like- there's a version for audio production that you yeah. can just have, or there's a version for hacking. Yep. Is, yeah. Sorry, yeah, you on. can just make whatever you want, really, and a lot of people have made specific distributions out there for different things. Hmm. And so the great thing about this video is that in about 15 minutes, they step you through some Linux basics. Mm-hmm. They then tell you about some distributions that make it really easy for you to not only jump into Linux, but jump into Linux gaming mm-hmm. as well, which is a big deal for a lot of people. And then they essentially just do it all there in front of you in, and, and explain everything every step of the way. And I've I got to admit, I was really impressed watching this. I, mm. I sent it to you, I think, straight away. And uh, I'm, you know, anyone that is curious, I'm, I'm sending it to now because it's just brilliant. Hey, what's up? Oh, computer trouble? Man, all I want to do is write scripts, but I've been stuck in an infinite boo loop for like a day. What if I told you that there's a way out? from under the iron grip of the bloated legacy of Billy G. Why are you using that voice? I can show you. Sure, but... I must warn you, it's a rabbit hole that you may never want to climb back out of. So if you've heard us talking about Linux a fair bit, you want to give it a crack, we'll put the link in the show notes to this video. It'll whet your curiosity just that bit. Last piece of news, the world's largest plane has taken to the skies for the first time. So after years of development, Strato Launch Systems' gigantic rocket launching plane, weighing 500,000 pounds and with a wingspan of 385 feet, lifted off shortly after 10 a.m. Eastern Time from Mojave Air and Spaceport in Mojave, California, on its first test flight. Uh, We're just going to briefly watch the takeoff video because we like watching things. Looks like a German reconnaissance plane from World War II. Yeah. 
It's hard to get to the scale, isn't it? Founded in 2011 by um, the late Paul G. Allen, the co-founder of Microsoft, they've been working to develop this massive flying launch pad. So it was designed to carry satellites into low Earth orbit. So they do that by taking this up to 36,000 feet. Um, and then at that point, it becomes that mobile launch pad. So it would release satellites and launches into orbit. So they would sort of launch off there and then go further up. Mm. So, yeah, this um, it's designed to land back on Earth straight afterwards, and it needs a runway of at least 3,700 metres long <laughs> in order to take off and land. So the massive plane incorporates parts from two Boeing 747 jumbo jets, and it's powered by six huge Pratt & Whitney turbofan engines, and it can carry a payload of... Over 230,000 kilograms. So it's designed of a range of 2,200 kilometres and at 3,500 feet is where it cruises. They're apparently close to being in a position to offer satellite launch services to the military, private companies and even NASA um, as a more economical way to get into space. So, yeah, they're saying whatever the payload, whatever the orbit, getting a satellite into space will soon be as easy as booking an airline flight, their CEO reported. And, yeah, Jack Bayer who's an aerospace and launch photographer for nasaspaceflight.com, he told CNN last week that the plane was so big it seems like it shouldn't be able to fly. Yeah. And if you watch the video, you'll think the same thing. That thing's got no right being up in the air. No. Wherever you're joining us from, it's a pleasure having you here. Why not drop into our Telegram channel and say hello? FOMO.show slash Telegram. So this week, instead of doing just a small segment on privacy and security, we want to do a little bit of a feature about what can people really find out about me online and how are people finding that out? Why is it so important to find out what people can find out about you online? Yeah, well, the, the internet's basically like one big library, really. Everything's stored in one place. Now, they may be stored in different rooms, on different bookshelves, and some of those bookshelves and rooms might be guarded by armed guards with varying degrees of expertise, but it's all connected and together in one way or another. And because it's all there and it stores so much information, there's what we call open source intelligence, which essentially investigates this massive library of the internet. Open source intelligence um, is what private investigators, governments, and a bunch of other people use. And there's a whole bunch of tools at their disposal by loads of different people have built really cool tools to help find out information about other people online. Now, you might be sitting at home and thinking, well, okay, that's all good, but I don't really have to worry about this. I mean, I, I just use the internet to browse a bit. I have Facebook. I check my Twitter. I put, put pictures of my dog up or my kids up on Instagram. Uh, I don't have much to worry about. That, that's what everyone thinks. Um, but there's then you hear the stories of people who've been doxxed. Now, there's a bunch of stories out there. I mean, you've had people who've you know, tweeted nasty things online and then had people chasing them down and out their house. There there have been people who've, you know, they've said something about veganism and then all of a sudden a bunch of people turn up at their house really angry. Doxing is when somebody gets all as much personal information about you as possible and just dumps it online on one of those, you know, whether it's on Twitter or anywhere really. It's mm. actually just somebody just spreading your information Publicly, so other people know all your personal details. Yeah, and a lot of the time it's on places where other people are going to do some pretty nasty stuff with it or it's sending it to all your family and friends Yeah, um, and trying to embarrass you and mm. potentially affect your job or 
Uh, if you're an important person, maybe have things written about you by journalists. Mm-hmm. So it can be quite unpleasant. Now, there's a whole bunch of stories out there about doxing, but we'll just chat about one to kind of give you a little bit of perspective on what can actually happen to even just ordinary everyday people. So this story was shared on purevpn.com, the true story of a doxing victim in her own words. She said, I broke up with a very abusive boyfriend who I'm currently fighting in court. He tried to destroy me in the last way he knew online. So as a digital marketer, uh, my online reputation is vital. Knowing this, he posted my Google results on websites like cheaterreport.com and cheaterland.com, fabricated a a story full of lies and called out two of my previous co-workers falsely along with my mother. These posts are extremely defamational and also feature pictures of me, my full name and damaging lies. I found out this because of a friend who uses a Google Chrome extension and they were basically chatting to me on Messenger and that Chrome extension pops up search results for the person you're talking to. Now, these websites are extortion rings as well. You know, you have to pay up to $400 to remove every post. Um, and he's posted about a dozen or so at this point, so removing them continues to cost my hard-earned money. It's easy to find personal information about people nowadays, so I don't know exactly how to prevent it, especially if you're looking to shake things up in the world. Um, but, you know, men love doxing women and putting them through the hell that then ensues, and, all, and, as, and so the story is said. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> that's just someone that, Life was going great. Everything seemed to apparently be doing pretty well. And then she broke up with her boyfriend. And all of a sudden, all that information that was online and everything this guy could find about her um, was suddenly turned against her. And it was used to make a completely fabricated story seem completely legitimate. Mm -hmm. And there are some other examples of doxing. You know, you had uh, during the Boston Marathon bombing when people were accused of – of being the, the the people behind the bombings, then you had people sharing all kinds of information that they found um, after the you know Ashley Madison data breach. There was stuff, you know, all kinds of people expose information. But the question is, you know, I mean, it's important to remember anyone who has the time, interest, and motivation to collect your information can share it publicly and attempt to dox you. Yeah, so you never really know when all your digital footprints and info you've left out there might come back to bite you. So we're going to go over, first of all, what people can find out about you on the internet and how some of that's done. So some simple things that you can usually show to the internet just by connecting to it are, for example, your unique IP address, your location, your desktop configuration, your time and the date. Um, Also cookies, you know, um, from advertising on your computer that have been dropped there. They're originally made to make, made to, meant to make things easier by remembering sessions, but now they can be used to track and monitor what you do. So they can see information you put into websites, how you interacted with sites, other sites you visited, and browser preferences. Yes, there's also obviously a whole bunch of information sitting in search engines and on social media sites. And you can perform some open source intelligence very easily by just using Google and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. And it's amazing what you can find about a lot of people. And this is one of the most common things that people say when they start doxing is that it's incredible what people have voluntarily given over to a lot of these sites Mm -hmm. that can just be found by a simple Google search. So let's just start with some really basic off off the top of our head Google searches that you can run to find more information about what is available about you online. So step one, if you go into Google and you just type in, in quotes, type in your email address. Yep. 
and then hit enter. Now, if you see results, uh, you want that inside quote, so it only shows things with that specific email address in there. See what's there. Yeah, um, try a few of the email addresses you use. Try the usernames mm. that you use to some of these websites. Before you even get to typing your own name into Google, just type some of your email addresses and usernames in quotes and um, try them one at a time and see what sort of things you find. Then the next thing you probably want to do just to just to really show how easy this is is then take one of those email addresses or those usernames, put them in quotes, type and in the middle, and then put another quote into the search engine and type your name and see Ooh. what comes up. Now, if your name is linked to any one of those email addresses or usernames, then that's a really simple link that someone can make and they'll generally be able to begin building a map of all of your usernames, your emails, and anything else you use online and connecting mm. that to mm. your real name. Mm. And it's because it's often, you know, you might have just put a tweet out there into the Twitter sphere, and let's say you've got some anonymous Twitter account and you put rage tweets about, I don't know, um, people who like dogs. And let's say you really don't like dog lovers and you're tweeting against them because you're an evil person. Um, and all it takes is one person who's really annoyed at you because you're being really mean to them. They start searching and they can actually find all the other accounts that you might have on other websites if you're mm. using a similar username. Mm. Um, and that's just with some really, really basic uh, functionality. That's just using a search engine. Mm. You could say a similar thing for searching on Twitter or Facebook or a number of the social media sites. But there are an incredible amount of more detailed tools and a number of really complicated ways that well, – no, sorry, a number of simple ways – that you can find a lot more information about people by using some of the more hidden areas in, in the internet that you don't really see when you access websites and social media sites. So there's a number of tools out there and we're going to run through a few different ones. We're going to give you a bit of an idea of, of what some of these things do. We've linked a few kind of aggregation websites in the show notes. We've got a, a really great GitHub page, which just collects a huge amount of stuff and puts it all in one list. Uh, ranhome.io has also done an OSINT guide and so is Hacking Loop. And there is also a few how-tos on the Bellingcat website as well if you're that way inclined. So we're going to run through an, a number of these tools and cover some of the ways, the really interesting ways that people can gather open source intelligence. And the thing about open source intelligence too is that it's not just about doxing people. It's not just about doing online investigation. Um I recently found out that there is a whole sector of open source intelligence which is just dedicated to researching potential competitors for other companies. So mm. these some of these researchers will actually spend all their time looking at metadata and websites, looking at code behind a lot of these different websites, images, posts, you name it. They're trawling the internet just to, for companies to see if someone's breaching their copyright or their trademarks or trying to reuse their intellectual property in a way that they don't really want them doing. Um, and that's their job. And they use the same tools as someone who is trying to locate uh, a murderer or someone who's trying to um, build a, a network of people that they think are doing a certain activity, mm. which is really cool. So mm. open source intelligence can be used for a number of different things. So even if you don't want to become your own super sleuth, there's a bunch of really cool tools in here that might actually help you in your daily work. Just to pick a few of those tools, checkusernames.com. I actually can enter a username of my choice 
Um, so maybe someone's Twitter handle and you can see potentially which other websites they're using. So you can see if they've got a SoundCloud page or maybe they have a, uh, a Dribble account for designers or a Last FM account for radio or um, any of these sort of major websites, it searches instantly through maybe 250 different sites yep. um, to find out if that username has been used. So I'll just run it on one of mine. So yeah, I just put my name in the search field, uh, well, my username in the search field, click check username, and huh. Wow. About.me. So just very quickly, you can get a, a, a map of... Which websites they might have accounts on. Yeah, yeah, which is... Scary. Yeah, so for, for those of you um, who can't see what we're doing, um, this website just it literally pops up with a big list of a bunch of different websites. You put the username in, you check usernames, and then it basically grays out all the websites where that username isn't available, which means that there's already an account there with that username. Mm, so and it's, it happens really quick. That only took, what, like 15 seconds from yep. the time you entered the name in till it basically finished checking all the different websites. And by which time I'm now gibbering on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, there's, there's other tools which let you do um, – uh, domain and IP research. You can look at web history and you actually cap capture data from websites as it comes in. Uh, there's a, a lot of image search and image analysis tools out there and a lot of them are using machine learning now, which is really interesting. And even video search. There's a number of tools out there now which can search through video for different things. Wow. Particularly if it's text. If you're looking through video for text, uh, there, there are tools out there now which can actually search through a number of videos to try and find some text too. It sounds like there are too many to remember and you wouldn't be able to bookmark them all if we told you about every individual mm. one. But there's a solution. There is a great solution. So the one, in, in the, the theme of o open source tools, there's what's called an o the open source framework. Um, so, yeah, you can find it at osintframework.com. Now, if there's one website from today's show that you should take a look at and definitely bookmark like whether you want to become a, an online sleuth or not fomo.show oh if there was a second website that we were talking about today that you should visit and bookmark it's osintframework.com it mm. expands it's a really cool way of exploring the tools because it starts with a very small list it's almost like a tree diagram yep. an interactive list and it's got a bunch of categories. Uh, so, you know, one of them will be, you know, one of them says social networks. The other says um, forums, blogs, all this. The other says instant messaging. The other says people search engines, email addresses. It's got all the categories. So let's say you want to find out, um, for example, about somebody's social media usage. You can click on social networks and it'll expand to subcategories. So there's one for Facebook, Twitter, all these things. So I'll just go on Facebook. So there are a few tools out there that actually allow you to run some extra analysis on Facebook accounts and find more information out there. Same with LinkedIn. There's some really interesting tools there that will help you scrape information or mess about. Yeah, and, and, and it is... It'll, you're probably going to look at this on a desktop, but it will blow your mind the sheer amount of um, different categories, different tools that are held in this one little tree diagram because the more you expand things out, the more you get more and more options coming at you, the more tools that you find. And so you can use this to really start to build a profile on what open source intelligence people called a target, so mm. someone that you're wanting to research you can use this framework to essentially 
find out all sorts of different things about them from from one web page. Mm, so really worth putting yourself in the mindset of how would I find out about myself and use these tools against yourself. Okay, so for some specific tools then, we'll go through a, a few of the different categories. The first one is plugins. There's So we use a browser for everything now and when OSINT investigators are going through uh, all their different bits of investigation, they're doing most of that in a browser. And so a lot of these plugins that are coming out now for the OSINT guys actually augment and help you within your investigation make things a lot quicker. So there's one called archive.is button, which allows you to quickly save a web page in archive.is, and we'll talk about that more later. There's another one called Wayback Machine. Now, Wayback Machine um, is essentially a website you can go to where you can search through the history of a different website. So archive.org, archive, a whole bunch of different websites, and they archive them at certain times. And the Wayback Machine plugin allows you to go to a website and then pull up and open in new tabs all the different permutations of that website right there in the in the browser as mm-hmm. well. There's a number of other plugins. Um, open Source Intelligence is probably the only other one to uh, to mention because it actually just aggregates a whole bunch of these tools mm-hmm. in one plugin. So there are some other interesting tools that researchers use to sort of save information into their sort of case files when they're doing investigations. So one of them is called Hunchly. Now, you can basically click on Capture in the extension when you start an investigation, and it will save the web pages you visit in a database, allowing you to add notes and tags to them. There are downsides to tools like this. So this one specifically, Hunchly, it costs you, what, 130 US dollars a year. Yeah. And it doesn't seem a lot if you're a professional, but- for those of us who don't want to spend money, there's a great solution out there. What's that one? Yeah, so the solution is called Multego, and they do actually have a paid version of this, but there's a free version as well, and it's actually like a, a community edition. So it's what mm-hmm. everyone works on in the community. And this program allows you to represent your data in some really interesting ways as you go along with your investigation. So an example might be, let's say you're creating a little report about yourself because you really want to sort of find out what's there about you and note it all down so that when you find all this information out, you can actually go through one by one and patch those bits up. Mm. So the first one, you could put your name down in the middle of this thing. You could drop a little icon of just a person and it's got your name on it. And then you can sort of feed things out from there. So you could have a little sort of, it's like nodes, it's like Mm. mind mapping Mm. for researchers. So you can have offshoots where you go social network accounts. The other one is like personal information. Mm. The other one could be web servers and stuff like that. Mm. So you could actually start mapping out, okay, so which social networks? And and then you can, once you've connected these things, you can rearrange them in a bunch of different ways. So Mm. you can... Uh, you can mess around with that data and pivot it around different points, which is really powerful. So if you get Multego and you install it and you have a look at some of the example files, you could have masses of information. So let's say you're researching a competitor. You could actually detail so much information, key personnel, Mm. details about all of those sorts of personnel, where they've been. You you could even map them to different company events. Mm. So you can actually map events like, you know, situations like, uh, you know, for example, I saw in the icons in this program, there was one for murder. So you could actually put a murder flag down and then you could start connecting people into that. So it's about connecting these dots Mm. and it allows you to put down dots and connect them. Satoshi Nakamoto, there in the middle, who is he? The amount of power at your fingertips to tips to document an investigation. Anyway, sorry, I've ranted for way too long. No, no, it's true though. I mean, this is is something that, 
nearly everyone within the OSINT community recommends that you use mm-hmm. because it is just so powerful and it lets you put things down very visually because you're going to be dealing with a bunch of data, whether you're looking at yourself, trying to work out what the internet knows about you or whether you're, you're doing this in the course of your job or for an experiment, you're going to be dealing with a huge amount of data, lots of text. This lets you visualize it all, compartmentalize it all and kind of make sense of it. Build a bit of a picture of what's going on. This makes you want to be an investigator, doesn't it? Mate, like you look at it's just it, oh. private investigators. Are, as long as you had the work to do, mm-hmm. it'd be such a cool job. What other sort of bits out there that are out there that are exciting? So there's there's stuff out there for social networks, like we covered uh, before. There's all sorts of tools that can scrape data from them, um, and they actually have their own menus, and then they'll tap into a bunch of the data available from the APIs. So I'll pull in because these APIs are used for applications to right. hook up and integrate in. Yeah, and so yeah. you can use the same thing just to pull data. And so they essentially just take all these API categories, pull them into a search engine and you can run all sorts of searches on it. Um, and there's all sorts of Facebook tools out there. There's tweet analyzers. Um, there's LinkedIn profile analyzers as well. Back on the Facebook one, you mentioned that there was a great resource by Michael Bazell. Yeah, so Michael Bazell is the guy who runs the Complete Privacy Security and OSINT podcast. It used right. to be the Complete Privacy and Security podcast. Um, he's got a, a bunch of resources on his site and there's there's one thing you can click on which will um, – which we'll link in the show notes, which essentially pulls up a whole bunch of his different resources that he's put together or other people have put together. And a lot of them are particularly focused on social networks and particularly focused on Facebook. So, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff out there for social media. Uh, we won't go into any of the specific tools, but we'll link some really cool stuff in the uh, in the show notes. There's also Internet Archive. Uh, and Internet Archive is a great project that aims saving everything published on the internet pretty much and that includes automatically crawling web pages and saving their versions essentially in a massive database and they offer the Wayback Machine, which we've already talked about. That's often used in court cases and stuff like that Mm. to show, oh, you did have this on your website at this specific point. Yeah. It comes up quite frequently. Yeah, I've used it a bit to try and go back to some of the early websites I ran. Uh, I had a a gaming website that I ran way back in the day. Yeah. Um, I was hoping to find a way to somehow resurrect the forums that we used to have for that. But, yeah, yeah unfortunately, the Wayback Machine's not that good. <laughs> right. So, yeah, no no luck there. But it, it is a really good tool if you want to pull, like, text mm-hmm. and maybe low-res images from a lot of these websites. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, a bunch of tools. So we'll share a, bu- share a few of them. But that website that we shared, osintframework.com, had so many of them buried in there. So, mm. yeah, and we'll add a few to that. You had this really interesting um, diagram which came from Michael Bazell on um, how people usually go about email. Yeah, so Michael Bazell, again, he's the guy that runs the Complete Privacy Security and OSINT podcast. He's put together a great um, flowchart for a systematic way to search for someone's – use someone's email address to essentially gain – nearly everything else about the person simply from an email address. And he's put it together in an image and it essentially steps you through all the different search steps you should take to go from just having an email address all the way through to finding out their username, their employer, their real name, their social networks, 
their websites, their profile pages, um, the uh, and even more very detailed aspects about these people. Mm. It just goes to show when you're going about on a daily basis, don't give your real details out unless it's to the police. Yeah. Um, or you know, or maybe a doctor um, if you're required to, but. You don't really need to give out your information and you certainly don't need to give out your real email address. So maybe even throw create a throwaway email address that yep. you don't need for anything. Yeah, look, we, we've covered 33Mail before. Um, 33Mail is really, really good to have a different email address for every single thing that you mm. do, which all comes back to one email address. But the people who you give that email address to can't see where that's all going. Mm. And I, I use that so much. And if you just need a quick and dirty throwaway email address that's there for about five or ten minutes, uh, just go to sharklasers.com. It's uh, a disposable email address generator. And an awesome logo. So if you if that's all piqued your interest, uh, and hopefully it's made you at least realize that there are so many ways that people can find out information about you online, and I'd recommend definitely go through the show notes on this, particularly go to some of the aggregate websites we've put up the github page we'll put up is unreal osint framework is unreal they have so much information on them but there's also a huge amount of articles out there about this stuff there is a massive open source intelligence community and it's like the hacker community doesn't matter what they do they all share information with each other and they Mm. all work on the same tools and it's this kind of unholy alliance of doxes and police investigators and everyone in between. Um, and so if it is something that you're interested in learning more about, there's all sorts of articles on Medium, there's articles on a number of these websites about tools and there's all sorts of new tools all the time. There's a couple of Linux distributions as well that are particularly focused on OSINT. Mm. Um, and one of them, which is, again, Michael uh, Bazell's brainchild called Buscador, you can essentially just – he just has a virtual machine that you can literally just download, load it up on your virtual machine software, and you're in. And you've got all, a whole bunch of these tools right there installed at your fingertips. I almost want to become an – I just want to become an open source intelligence person now. That looks like so much fun. It seems really cool, doesn't it? Yeah, just like yeah. exploring and finding things. Or just even just doing it for a side gig. You I know? mean, you actually shared that um, some of these how-to guys, but well, yeah, you see people on LinkedIn, for example. You'd find the military would use that. Because yep. if I go on LinkedIn and I search for people who used to work at the Department of Defense, um, and their specialism is IT, you go in there and you look through their bios. People write a lot of information mm. about the projects they're working on. Mm. That's how a lot of leaks happen: mm. is people putting them in their. Uh, LinkedIn profiles, wow. what they're working on. And like names of operations and things like yep. that. Like it's yep. kind of brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So look, definitely at least give some of this a look. I recommend just seeing what you can find out about yourself. Do a little uh, investigative work on on uh, on yourself. Um, and then if it does concern you, there's a number of ways that you can protect against this. There's ways you can get things taken down. There's also ways that you can try and make yourself leave a bit less of a digital footprint in the future. And we've covered a bunch of them on the show. So if you just go back through the show notes on the website, FOMO.show, you'll find nearly every week we have a privacy and security tip to help with some of this stuff. Mm. So 
It might be a bit scary. There's a bunch of information that could be out, that is out about you on the web. But running some of these searches and knowing these tools that are out there gives you a head start. The best way to think about it is if you win the lotto tomorrow, would you want everyone looking up everything about you so they could work out how to rob you? Or would you want to make sure that it was as hard as possible for anyone to use any of that information against you? Mm. I enjoyed that. That was good. Multego thing is so cool, but yeah. it's hard to describe. But yeah, yeah, so much of this is visual. That OSN framework website has everything. Yeah, it's like, unreal, man, the amount of stuff that's on that. Like, there are people out there who just put this all together and it's a little community that we just tap into just for a little feature. Yeah. Holy. That's, that's a motivated community. Know someone who might enjoy this? Please feel free to share this with them. You can find us at FOMO.show. You can jump on our telegram at FOMO.show slash telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. And YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO Show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like our show, please do feel free to subscribe in your podcast app of choice or via our YouTube channel. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. I've got a bunch of wallpapers that are just um, like space wallpapers that yeah. go across. Nebulous started on my windows like maybe seven or eight years ago, yeah. and it still just cycles through. And the issue is on my virtual desktop, um, I'd, I'd like to change them. I'd like to have like just work, uh, boring wallpapers, pictures of people in offices. Yeah, you know, like something that does, I don't look at and go, oh. okay. Okay, okay, so let's go 125. <gasps> there we go. Hey. 150. <gasps> there we go. <laughs> can we can we try 200? <laughs> There's 200. Too much. It's a bit too much, I think. It's, it's, it's the modern day excess of our society. <laughs> Zooming into a web page. <laughs> oh, I got a peek on the wave file. Lovely. Hey. Lovely. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. Whoa. Oh. Whoa. I didn't even realize you got averted. No, no, no. Back to the show. So. <laughs> I am genuinely disturbed. I feel like I just heard somebody fall from like at least 100 meters. But there's no. What? I better not hear about that in the news, mate. <laughs> so, Mao, you know Chairman yep. Mao, right? Yep. You know he went to Yale? I heard that. He went to he Yale. He was educated in America. He was educated in America. Yeah. Okay, yes, so. Uh, no, we're not covering this piece. <laughs> we're not. Absolutely not. One <laughs> is enough. <laughs> I was going to be like. I saw it. I was like, no. No, we are not. <laughs> 
Sorry, oh, sorry man. I, no, know it's, fine, I know man. it's important, it's but fine, the world no, is fine. Next, next, anyway. We'll do it next episode. <laughs> You're right, mate. You're right. We can't. We'll just become the grumpy old farts otherwise and there's enough grumpy old farts in the world. I would okay. love a negative show though. I would love to – I would just run my own little separate <laughs> negative show. Oh, I would – that would so be up for that. Anyway. I feel like you've got to go the whole way in. Like if you're going to if you're gonna be a content creator that focuses on all of that stuff, it almost becomes what you do, you know? Whatever the payload, whatever the orbit, getting your satellite into space will soon be as easy as booking an airline flight. And Mexico will pay for it. <laughs> and YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. Not Twitter? No? Nah. We're deleting all traces of us. What? <laughs> <laughs> Twitter's like the one thing we do post on semi-regularly. It's so true. It is semi-regularly. Okay. <laughs> 